that's America's ass. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Brett Palashati. With me now and always is my boy, Kyle Settle. What is going on, dude? Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> wee, woo. Wee, woo. <laughs> I am ready. All right, man. So, I was looking through our rankings because we're doing a rookie draft here today. Huzzah. And it kind of blew my mind how many second-year players we have high up in our rankings. I mean, you look at all the running backs that got drafted early in the first or second round last year with uh, CEH, mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Downs, DeAndre Swift, all those quarterbacks, not to mention the best rookie wide receiver season we've seen in Justin Jefferson. Yep. And then you have guys with a lot of hype like LaVisca Chenault. So my question to you to start off the show here is, do you think this is the best fantasy rookie class that we've seen, or at least that you've seen since you started playing fantasy? So in the past, what, five, ten years of playing Dynasty, the, there's two main classes that come to mind. The 2014 class obviously comes to mind because of the elite wide receiver talent that went through there. And the other one was, uh, what was it, the 2016, 2000, or no, 2017, 2018 class with Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, uh, CMC, all the running back talent from that one. The thing we saw with this draft, it was just talent across the board. You saw so many running backs, so many wide receivers. Obviously, the quarterbacks, if you're playing super flex, were very loaded. It was just a, a loaded class top to bottom at every position. I don't know that any position maybe was the best we've seen at that position. I think 14 probably still has the best receiver class. Uh, 17, 18, whichever class that was, probably has the best running back class. But it's still early. It's only going into year two, like you said. There's, you may see a lot of improvement from these guys. And the the thing I really liked about it is it was really hard to find busts from last year's class. Almost everyone that was drafted early seemed Henry to come Ruggs. through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Henry Ruggs, obvious exception. That, that one was tough. But if you didn't draft Henry Ruggs, you were probably – I'm trying to think back and see if there was anyone else – yeah, there's, there's one guy that comes to mind. Uh, I wouldn't call him a bust just yet, but uh, Michael Pittman, we haven't seen much from yet. There was quite a bit of hype around him coming out of USC. Uh, but even most, Pittman, he was a he was a mid-second round pick, maybe an early second round pick, depending on where he went. Yeah, I mean, when, when we're talking about Michael Pittman, I'm more talking about the guys that got drafted around him that you might have missed out on if you took a Michael Pittman, like... LaVisca Chenault got drafted right around him. Brandon Ayuk got drafted right around him. Antonio Gibson. These are guys with a ton of hype coming into 2021. So although it may seem like you made the wrong pick now, obviously you don't want to give up on him. All right, man. So our our show today is going to be uh, a little rerun of our first episode where we did a rookie draft. But now we have some more information. We have a little bit of, uh, you know, the rookie shine has uh, worn off. We can kind of see these guys a little bit better, in my opinion, with with more data and more uh, more an- analysis to break these guys down. So we're going to go through another rookie draft, and then my favorite part of the show, your idea, 
we're going to go through our Marvel player comps. I have five yes. that I absolutely love. You have about a dozen. So this should be pretty fun. Mine are going to be quick hitters. You're going to bring in the detailed analysis, but it's Marvel season right now with the NFL being slow. And obviously you got Loki going on all the TV shows. Family and I are going to see WandaVision tomorrow. So that should be fun. So why not tie together two of my favorite things on this planet with fantasy football and the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You say you're going to see WandaVision? What is that? Yes. What do you mean? Like you're going to see it? What do you mean? Is there like a play or something? Yeah. Oh, did I say WandaVision? Yeah. Oh, my fault. No, I'm going to see Black Widow. <laughs> oh, my fault. I, I get them mixed up. I get them mixed up all the time. The main thing I mix up is the actresses because obviously you have the Scarlet Witch and then you have Scarlett Johansson. So I make that mistake all the time and I end up calling Elizabeth Olsen Scarlett. It's all twisted in my mind. Talented <laughs> female actresses in the MCU. I'm going to go see one of them in a movie tomorrow. Gotcha. <laughs> all right, buddy. Let's get into the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! X-Street, X-Street, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. So in a bit of a surprise turn of events... Nikhil Harry, the once highly sought-after first-round wide receiver for the New England Patriots, has requested a trade. So we've heard a bunch of analysis about this, I think, already, but I want to hear your dream landing spot for a guy with all this talent but hasn't shown much of anything in the NFL so far. Oh, it's too easy for me. Green Bay. Green Bay is probably in need of a number two receiver. He would bring a unique skill set in what he does, but... For Harry himself, I, I say skill set, and I throw that term around loosely. I just I don't think he's that good. I don't think this is a bad marriage, and that's the reason that it didn't work out. I think this is more on Nikhil Harry than it is on the New England Patriots. The, the way he won in college was really fun for a highlight reel. So if you did your scouting off of a highlight reel, you loved Nikhil Harry. But pay a little bit closer attention and look at the ways he was winning in college. He was winning on a lot of contested catches, uh, screen passes. He had a crazy high target share on a team that just had no other options. And those things don't really translate to the NFL. He's not going to be fed the amount of volume that he was in co- what was it, Arizona State that he went to. Yeah, He's not going to get the kind of volume that he did back in college, so he doesn't have that behind him. Contested catches from the college level to the pro level do not stick at all. That's If they would, we would see uh, Mike Williams be a wide receiver one every year because he was one of the best uh, contested catch passers or catcher, pass catchers in college football and uh same year Corey davis same thing he was very good at the contested catch but we never saw either of those careers really come off the ground the way that we expected them to it's it's just that sort of skill set you see in a college wide receiver when you're out jumping these guys who are no longer playing football for a living okay you beat up on these guys in college and it's going to make for some really good highlights and if you go to youtube you google their name you're going to come away thinking wow this guy's great but they just don't always translate to the nfl and when he had to go up against NFL competition. I've always said NFL cornerbacks are, it's the hardest position to play in pro sports. Maybe not mentally, but physically, you're on an island as a cornerback, and you've got to shadow some of the best athletes in the world. And now that you're going up against these elite playmakers on, on as the defensive backs, the talent just did not transcend to the NFL level. I don't think anywhere he goes is he going to be able to 
salvage any real fantasy value. If I'm an owner, I'm shopping him. Maybe wait till someone, till, till another NFL team actually pulls the trigger, and maybe he's in the forefront of someone's brain. You get an offer for a second, third round pick. But I'm shopping if I got him, and I'm not looking to buy if I don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm definitely lower on him, obviously, than uh, than I was when he was coming into the league because I I kind of explained away a lot of his question marks like his level of competition and all that with his athleticism um, that was clearly on par with, with some of the better wide receivers in the NFL and definitely the, the best in his class at his size and all that being said I think the, the best landing spot for him is just somewhere where he could get volume early so that I can move him I don't think he's going to go anywhere and then all of a sudden break out and become a wide receiver one I want him to go somewhere where he can get volume early and I can try to capitalize on that and just wash my hands of him, you know, be done with him and, uh, you know, flush the first rounder down the toilet. I think the only place that he could go. Yeah. I think the only place he could go to really salvage any fantasy value that I, I might be the slightest bit intrigue is the place with the most vacated targets in the NFL last year. And that's Detroit because I don't like anybody in that passing game not named TJ Hawkinson or DeAndre Swift. I think if he goes there, he's the immediate number one, and then he might get that volume that'll make him fantasy relevant, at least to the point that you could sell him for something at that point. Yeah, that's a good That's a good point, Detroit. I was also thinking Houston uh, could be a spot. I mean, who knows who's going to be throwing him the ball there, but you know he won't be competing with much, so hopefully get that volume if he goes somewhere like that. Um, I don't know if the Patriots get anything more than like a sixth or seventh round pick for him, it's insane. But anyway, that's enough about Nikhil Harry. Aaron Rodgers, he did not opt out of the 2020 season at the deadline here last week. And that may not sound like news because nothing actually happened. But there was always kind of a shadow hanging over Rodgers and the Packers that what if he just doesn't want to play this year? What if he takes a year off like Carson Palmer did a few years ago? You know, there's a small precedent there for a quarterback to do that. And he didn't. He didn't do that. So still looks like he wants to play this year. Uh, that's another feather in the cap of guys like me and you who think he's going to be back playing for the Packers this year. Maybe give you a little bit more confidence pulling the trigger on a guy like Devontae Adams in your drafts or even Aaron Jones. Yeah, it was. I was fortunate enough to be able to stay home and watch the match with him against Brady, him and uh, uh, Rochambeau against Brady and Nicholson. Rochambeau. <laughs> Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> So, I can't talk today. What's new? But yeah, those guys are so entertaining, especially on the Brady and Mickelson side. Those guys are such good shit talkers. It's really entertaining to watch no matter who they're going up against. It's going to be fun. Gronk called in. There was a lot of uh, just candid interviews and conversations. Really fun to watch. I still have the same stance, obviously, that I've had for weeks and months now since the news broke is that he's not playing anywhere else this year. I still think it's probably a 90 to 10 shot that he's playing for Green Bay. Maybe a 10% chance that he holds out. But Aaron Rodgers is so cerebral and so calculated with everything that he does. And you could tell anytime you watch the guy for an extended period is he doesn't say anything by accident. Everything he says is calculated. And he told us literally nothing watching the match. He got asked several times and everyone's looking for the slightest thread with no news going on right now. Everyone's looking for anything to pick off of. All he's got to do is say one thing and it's the headline of tomorrow's ESPN article or Adam Schefter's tweeting it. But of course I didn't stop Schefter. He tweeted saying Aaron Rodgers said nothing. Great job, Shefty. God, I'm a fan of you. This God, you hate, but anyway. you hate Schefter. <laughs> I love him. Great guy. Huge fan of his work. Can't stand his Aaron Rodgers coverage. Anyway, 
Yeah, same stance. It's not fun as a Packers fan. It's not fun as a fantasy owner. I, I don't think much has changed for the last couple of months. I, I still think he's back in Green Bay by week one. Yeah, he, he drug my RB Baron roster to the championship in our league last year. Ended up losing anyway, but... You know, as, as a Rodgers... <laughs> what as can a, you do when you play Alvin Kamara and he scores six touchdowns? Yeah. Rough. I mean, I could turn around and go fuck my own face because that's what it felt like. Aaron Rodgers not opting out makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, I'm still kind of sweating it, but, you know, nobody can really tell me anything at this point because I've rewatched that <laughs> the clip from the match of them asking Aaron Rodgers if he's going to be there week one. I watched it probably four oh, or five times trying to find any little... <laughs> Hint yeah, just look for the tell. And guess what? Just like he is on the field, he's extremely deliberate. As you said, he knows what he's saying. He knows how he's saying it. And he's not giving an inch. I think I think he'll be back. Not changing my mind. I'm not getting off this hill. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers quarterback here in a few months. Forget football. Forget golf. Would Aaron Rodgers be the best poker player in the NFL? Because I'll take him against anyone. That guy's got a poker face that lasts for months. Either him or Jalen Ramsey, because you'll think that Jalen Ramsey has like a royal flush every single hand. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna play it like he does either way. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, this next part, maybe a bit of news, but it's more something I wanted to throw in here to make sure our listeners and any other fantasy players out there are aware of this. I mean, you got a, a trio of three star wide receivers all heading into training camp with questionable availability. Uh, mainly focused on lingering issues that they saw in 2020 or surgeries that they had in the offseason. That's Cortland Sutton with his ACL. Um, you know, he's a fantasy darling for a lot of people. Amari Cooper has that ankle problem that lasted uh, part of 2020 and into the offseason here in 2021. And then A.J. Brown had surgery on both his knees. And he also had Julio come into town. So there's some question marks with these stud wide receivers. I don't know if you could just press the button on them right now and feel comfortable i think you need to you know if you have your draft now there's nothing you can do about it but if you if you don't have your draft for a few weeks or or a month or so you need to be aware and kind of monitor these situations because it could get hairy quick i mean all of a sudden they're they're questionable for training camp and then two weeks into training camp they're they're kind of doing walkthroughs and then two weeks later it's week one so we need to be prepared to to pivot if some of these star wide receivers aren't ready I think uh, it's going to take a couple of weeks before anyone's back on the field. July 27th is the start of training camp, and that's when you're really going to see and to start getting some answers for some of these questions. These lingering injuries right now, they're just rehabbing. They're they're resting. They're not doing anything that we're going to see is going to give us any optimism. We're not going to go see a highlight on Twitter tomorrow that says, hey, this guy says he's fully healed. We're not going to know that for a couple of weeks. So you got to shoot your shot now if you believe in these guys. Maybe you get lucky and you get them in an injury discount. Uh the prices for all three of these guys, whether it's injury related or not, but I'm a big fan of taking any of these guys where they're going. AJ Brown was a first round pick before the Julio trade. He's fallen into the second round of drafts. Amari Cooper uh, with CD Lamb there, he's fallen behind him now in ADP. So I'm a big fan of grabbing that Amari Cooper value. And then Cortland Sutton obviously coming at the injury discount of last year. So I'm not afraid of any of these three injuries. Uh, Sutton hurt himself early enough in the season that I don't think it's going to linger on into this year the way we see people recover from ACLs now at the NFL level they're back in four to six months sometimes so given almost an entire year to rehab for that I think he's going to be back in plenty of time and as for Cooper and Brown they're rehabbing from injuries that weren't 
enough to keep him out of regular season or postseason games last year. So I'm, I think every one of these guys is probably going to be back on time. If training camp rolls around and these guys are missing action, then maybe I start to pay a little closer attention. But where we're at in the offseason right now, none of these three things, or none of these three injuries concern me. These all these years, Kyle, me and you talking fantasy and football. I believe this is the very first time that I am the pessimist and you are the optimist. Oh no! Because <laughs> uh, this stuff scares me. Uh, guys coming into the season with injuries. I mean, injuries are going to find you. You don't need to find injuries in fantasy. Shout out Nick Ercolano for saying <laughs> that, and I've stolen it ever since. It is. It's true. Injuries will find your team. You do not have to search them out. So if these guys are coming into the season with injuries, it scares me. Uh, that being said, they're all great wide receivers, and I would not blame you for taking them right now. Just monitor these situations and be prepared to pivot if you have to. And finally, our last point of news, Delaney Walker, fantasy stud from back in the day. He's expected to sign somewhere before a training camp, and no one gives a <laughs> I typed it into the show sheet. I didn't think you'd actually say it, but all right. I had to because I was I was reading. I was like, Delaney Walker's back. That's great. I really don't know what to say because guess what? He's going to go somewhere and he's just going to vulture touchdowns from some guy that we all love. <laughs> you think so? Happen. Yeah, I think, I think the he's... worst. I think the worst place that he could vulture is probably going back where he came from in Tennessee, because Anthony Ferkser right now is on fantasy radars because of the position he's in not necessarily because of the talent that he brings to the table. And if Delaney Walker goes back to a system he's familiar with, maybe he vultures. But as far as any other tight end that we're drafting, there's only probably six to eight that we feel comfortable in, comfortable with anyway. Anyone else that we're, we're settling or we're shooting a shot. So I, I, I'm not really – I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, think about how – how rough it would be if he, he signs in Philly, Dallas guy takes a hit. He signs in New Orleans, all that Adam Trapman. I don't see. Hike. I don't think so. I, no, I, I think Dallas really. Goddard's probably going to be the same. We laid it out last week on the tight end show, and we talked about the Philly offense, and now the Sirianni offense is usually going to have the tight end playing 60 70% of snaps max anyway. So I don't think Delaney Walker's getting any more than that. I don't think he's going anywhere to command 50 60% of snaps on his own. So. I wouldn't be concerned if I were a Dallas Garden owner. In fact, that may be the time to buy if he did, if he did go somewhere like Philly, and maybe the owner's worried that hey, Delaney Walker's now going to eat up all this volume. No, he's he can't have much left in the tank. It, he's he's useful for his veteran leadership, but that's about it. I, I picture him playing a similar role that we see out of Mercedes Lewis in Green Bay, which is he's going to be in there to block. He's going to be a locker room presence, but he's not going to take anything away from the guys in front of him. Yeah, I think that's enough on Delaney Walker. Uh, <laughs> I think you made me talk about him. I'm angry. I just I just spent two minutes talking about Delaney Walker. Yeah, just I'm cut that from the now. show. Nobody needs to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our rookie draft 2.0. So, Kyle, 2.0. Give me a rundown of our first rookie draft. So, way back on our maiden voyage, seems like forever ago, but about two months ago, immediately following the NFL draft, we went ahead and we launched this ship with a rookie draft for the ages and looking back on it I already have several moves all the way up and down the first round that I would do differently this time the way it went before was 
pretty chalk out of the gate. Trevor Lawrence, 101. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson. So four quarterbacks off the off the board, one through four. Najee Harris is our first non-quarterback. He goes at number five, followed by Travis Etienne, so back-to-back running backs. Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, the lead wide receiver and the lead tight end, go at seven and eight. Then Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Rashad Bateman, a trio of wide receivers at 9, 10, 11. Mac Jones rounds up the first round, rounds out the first round at number 12. And of course, this is a Superflex Dynasty rookie draft, so that's the way that we were playing it. And Personally, I'm super excited to get into 2.0. I feel like I'm going to get some steals. I feel a lot more informed now than I did maybe just a couple of months ago following the draft. And I feel like the first round this year, we were just talking about last year's draft class. I think this one is just as talented. Gotcha. So how are we going to figure out draft order here? Because we have As to, you said that, I literally started rummaging around looking for <laughs> like a, a, a nickel or a quarter or something that I could flip. We have dueling mocks. Yeah, what are, what are we gonna do here? Uh, All right, well, here here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna it. do. You have tw- you have Twitter on your phone, right? I do have Twitter on my phone. Okay, don't pull it up yet. Do you want AFC or NFC? Oh, NFC. All right, pull up Twitter. The first player you see in a tweet, if he's an NFC, right. you get to pick. If he's an AFC, okay. I pick. All right, I got NBA. I got an ad. Another NBA. A meme. All right, how many NFL stadiums have you been to so far? I've been to ten out of thirty-two. Ricky Hollywood, Erica Tamposi, and the Patriots <laughs> is the first team she lists. So hey. you get to go first. Hey. I'm taking the one-on-one because it is a lock, and I haven't been able to take Trevor Lawrence anywhere in fantasy. So this is my chance to, uh, even oh, though it's a oh, fake no, draft. No, no. You I'm said taking, you haven't been able to when we share a league that you traded away the 101 this year. I don't want to hear oh, that. Oh, well, yeah, I, tra- I traded it away, but I ended up getting Trey Lance and some, so it was worth it. But I haven't been able to sit and pick Trevor Lawrence and be comfortable with it, and right now that's exactly what I'm going to do. The 101 for my squad is Trevor Lawrence. Easy. Not a lot of analysis needed here. This guy's a surefire hit. In my opinion, there are two players in this class – that are can't miss prospects, like cannot bust prospects. They are going to be, I don't even want to say successful because it's almost doing them a disservice. I think they're going to be elite at their position. Their floor is very good in the NFL. And Trevor Lawrence is the first one. We'll get to the next one soon. But he's a can't miss and an easy one-on-one. All right. So you're on the clock here, the 102. So just to clarify, we're not picking – teams where we're going to like start a right, roster right, right. with all these we're, we're, we're different picking, teams yeah yeah we're picking as different teams so i'm not going to take teams. you know i'm not just going to take a running back just because i already have trade right. uh, trevor lawrence right so that would be a ahead. really boring and unhelpful first round for anyone i don't know many <laughs> two-team dynasty leagues out there but I'm, I'm if you're listening and you are in a two-team dynasty league i'm sorry you want to go not the show for you you want to go you, you trying to do this and it's in a one v one I'll bring it, son. All right. My number two, and already we have our first discrepancy where we're going to peel off the script from 1.0 and where Justin Fields went the first time we did this. I'm going with Trey Lance. I'm going with your boy. I I have so much confidence in the kid. I don't know that he's winning the job anytime early on in 2021, but eventually it's going to be his team. He's going to be playing for Kyle Shanahan. you got to have confidence in that system. 
He's got the role players behind him. He's got a solid receiving core. He's got the up-and-comers like Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. He's got one of the best tight ends, if not the best tight end in football, and George Kittle. And he's got a running game where you can literally churn anyone you want in and out of that backfield, and they're going to be successful. So he's got a team that's most likely competitive for the near future. He's going to be at the helm most likely by the end of this season. He can do it in all phases of the game. He's got a big arm. He can run the ball as well. He's my easy number two. I I decided to move him ahead of Fields from the first draft. And a lot of that does not have to do with the talent. It is the team that they're on. I obviously have a lot more faith in Kyle Shanahan than I do in Matt Nagy. If you want to tell me two years from now that Matt Nagy's unemployed, I would not be surprised by that. But if you told me Kyle Shanahan was unemployed, I'd I'd drop to the ground. I'd have no idea what you're talking about. And just the organization as a whole seems to have a lot more success. I trust the development a lot more for Trey Lance than I do for Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, you can argue the raw tools of Trey Lance are better. You can argue the situation is better. Uh, You can argue the supporting cast is better. There's not many things uh, unless you had Justin Fields ahead of Trey Lance pre-draft, which a lot of people did. Uh, That's about the only thing that you can, you know, hang your hat on if you're going to say Justin Fields over Trey Lance. But I am here at the 103, and Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance are off the board, so I'm going Justin Fields. Uh, Like you said, Matt Nagy, kind of at the end of his rope there in Chicago, so the situation scares me a little bit. The supporting cast isn't great. Their offensive line is is fairly weak. Um, He has a stud wide receiver to to rely on in Allen Robinson, and he's got a young tight end, up-and-comer in Cole Komet. So he's got some solid targets, and uh, let – Lest we forget about Darnell Mooney. Don't come on, man. Can we do one, <laughs> one show without one of the talking league about leaders in uh, unrealized, unrealized air yards from a year oh, ago? Great. Hopefully, Justin how many Fields fantasy can, points uh, are those unrealized yards worth? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Justin Fields, uh, I think is a, is a, is a great pick here. He was originally my my QB three coming into the draft or uh, coming into the draft process. As I started to do more homework on these guys, he, he ended up being the number two quarterback for me pre-draft and then getting picked up by Chicago, lands him at my third ranked quarterback. And that's exactly where he goes right here in the Superflex draft where quarterback is king. I think it's a good investment. It's a smart investment to take Justin Fields here in the top three of rookie drafts. And we're going in a time capsule going back to a couple months ago with our first draft. If you want to go back a full calendar year, which I don't know why you would, that lands you back in 2020, and I'm sorry. But if we're going to do that and we look at this quarterback class, it was a very clear cut, number one, Trevor Lawrence, number two, Justin Fields. Some people even, I don't know if it was for clicks or if they actually felt this way, had Justin Fields as their number one quarterback going into last year's college football season. After the season, you have a few things that come out. You have some question marks about the, uh, not dyslexia, what was it, the uh, Uh, epilepsy. Epilepsy. Thank you. Uh, There were also some question marks about his ability to fully grasp an NFL playbook. So it's enough questions for me to boot him out of my top two. But I I think I probably would have taken him here also just because of the raw talent. Like you said, he he's probably the best running quarterback of all these first round guys of the five guys that went. I I think I take the talent of Justin Fields and his ability to move the football on the ground ahead of anyone else. So I'm, I'm all right with the pick at number three. That's as far as I would have let him follow it also. So before you make your pick at one of four, I forgot to ask you. So if you had to decide between Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance, is it an easy choice for you, Trevor Lawrence? Yeah. 
Okay. Yep. Ten times if out of you, ten, no variance at all. Would you Would you agree that Trey Lance has a higher ceiling for fantasy than than Trevor Lawrence? Mm, no. And really? I get the I get the Konami code is is appetizing as a fantasy owner. You want a quarterback that can run the football, but who's going number one overall in drafts right now? Patrick Mahomes is he mm-hmm. that Konami code runner? No, he's not. He can run the football, but so can Trevor Lawrence. I I don't think I would be shocked at all to see Trevor Lawrence put up three to four hundred yards on the ground season in season out. He's he's a mobile guy. He's an athletic guy. When you look at him, like obviously his arm gets all the attention, but he's no slouch back there. He's not just some pocket passer like Eli Manning in his final years, who's just going to fall down as soon as he hears footsteps. He's a mobile enough guy that he's going to get you a couple points every single week on the ground, and he can whip it with the best of them. Patrick Mahomes is the best in the game right now. Before that, Aaron Rodgers was the best quarterback in fantasy. Before that, Tom Brady was the best quarterback in fantasy. These mobile quarterbacks are great, and I, I'm not. I just don't think you have to run for seven, eight hundred yards in a season to be the number one quarterback. I think the ceiling for Trevor Lawrence is still as high as anyone else in this class, and his floor is obviously much higher. I I, I think I agree with you in terms of I still would take Trevor Lawrence ten times out of ten, no hesitation. But as we get closer to the season and you start to hear some of the confusing things coming out of Jacksonville and, and how that situation is is sketchier than it seemed, it, it almost like – I've said it before and I'll say it again. The QB position is the hardest to evaluate coming into the league. No matter how good Trevor Lawrence was in college, we, we can't guarantee anything. And what really can, can put a – a ceiling on his potential or put a cap on his development is being stuck somewhere where he, he has a different head coach every two years. And uh, the GM doesn't bring in a good supporting cast. Well, I mean, right now he has good weapons and a solid offensive line, so you can't really complain. But, you know, things change quick. You know, life comes at you fast in the NFL. And, you know, if, if two years down the line we're looking at Trevor Lawrence as like a mid-tier quarterback – People will be surprised, but then again, it's the quarterback position. This I'd stuff be happens. shocked. I would be completely shocked if we we're not talking about him as a top five, at least top ten quarterback in the league a couple of years from now. I wish I could say I'd be shocked, but quarterbacks are very hard, and I'm not going to be the guy who thinks that he knows exactly what's going to happen. You know, it's very are, hard. Uh, I've been wrong about quarterbacks before. You know, it's very hard. Me, when I think about Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> okay. With that, make your make your second pick at 104. All right, at 104, I stay with the quarterback trend, and I take Zach Wilson, the New York Jets starting quarterback. I, I think the situation in New York and the success or the lack of success, rather, the history they've had over the last dozen years or so, is scaring people off of Zach Wilson. But it's still super flex, and I want to take this opportunity for. Anyone who's listening who may be new to Superflex or has never played it before and may ask, why are, why is this position so valuable? Even if you walk away with the QB 20, 24, low-end quarterback 2 in Superflex and you're putting them in that Superflex position, these guys are outscoring low-end RB1s, mid-range WR1s. All right, These guys are getting more points as low-end 2s than the elites get as low-end ones. It's the most important position in the NFL. It's the most important position in Superflex. I mentioned Eli Manning earlier. He's he spent out the last few years of his career being consistently that 
QB 24 through 30 range. And he was still putting up 18 points a week. If you get 18 points a week out of a receiver spot, out of a running back spot, out of a tight end spot, you're still very happy with that. So don't let the conception of evaluating one of these quarterbacks against their peers take you off of the fact that this is the most important position in Superflex. And there's a reason that we're starting our draft like that. And because that, even though I think there are more talented prospects behind him in this class, the positional value alone is enough for me to keep him in my top four. I understand your thought process there. I just look at two to four guys that I would rather have um, on my team and guys that I'm, I feel safer with. And obviously early in rookie drafts, you want to hit. Um, that's a that's an expensive asset. You don't just want to burn. You don't want to take Keyshawn Vaughn at the end of the first round like some people Ew. did last year and uh, have that Yikes. have that hang over your head coming into this year. So that, what I'll say about Zach Wilson, he was the hardest guy for me to rank and or draft during this process because like i said earlier he came in as my qb2 into the process and he left as my qb4 but at the end of the day i think he has the second best situation of the four quarterbacks we've mentioned you know to start his career and that may sound crazy you know saying the jets is a good situation but let's not forget the the investments that they really put into the offensive line the head coach that they brought in, I think a lot of people are excited about him, myself included. I really like their GM, Joe Douglas. I think they have a solid foundation that they're building on, and their roster is, is low-key really talented. So I think Zach it's Wilson— It's young, and it's unproven, but yeah, there there is a yes. lot of—there's there, a ceiling there for sure. And the offense that he's going to be playing in is, is uh, famous for being— easier for quarterbacks to grasp early in the career and easier for them to, to be efficient in and, and kind of, you know, it takes away a lot of the mystique about playing in the NFL because things are kind of set up for you in this offense. And I mean, you've seen that in San Francisco, you've seen it in green Bay, obviously green Bay doesn't need to set, make things easy for Aaron Rodgers. He makes it easy for them, but that offense in general is, is very quarterback friendly. And a guy like him who has a lot of raw tools just needs to get better with his timing, decision-making, pocket presence. It's a great spot for him to, to land and learn. So I don't mind the pick, especially because we're in super flex, but I would take other guys over him for sure. Just to put it, just to put it in perspective, Sam Darnold, obviously. He, he went through the Gase era. He obviously played for the Jets as well. His first three seasons in the league, he averaged, depending on your scoring, about 13 fantasy points a game. Now, if you get a quarterback who's going to average you 13 points a game and he's going to play, what, 5, 10 years before he's replaced, okay, that that's enough to put you in the high-end RB2, high-end WR2 range. And if you grab that at the 104, I think you're happy with it. If you grab Najee Harris or Jamar Chase right now and they spend 5, 10 years averaging 13, 14 points a game, I think you're okay with that. And I think that's the absolute floor. That's what Sam Darnold did as the QB 30 over that time span. So if, if Zach Wilson... I would Wilson, not be okay with that. I think Jamar It's not Chase, what you draft him for. It's but, a huge bust if Najee Harris and Jamar Chase only ever get to like a low-end wide receiver 2 or low-end RB2. Well, we could talk, we'll, we'll talk about them more, obviously, whenever they come up. But I, I don't think you could talk, call them complete busts at that position. Yes, I agree with you that they don't meet expectations if that's what they're putting up. But... I don't think they're bust at that spot. And right now, I think that Zach Wilson is probably the most underrated first-round pick in Dynasty rookie drafts right now. He's just, 
everyone's drafting him like it is a guarantee that the Jets are going to suck and he's not very good. Like No one's taking the ceiling into account at all for this guy. The raw skills that had the Jets sitting at number two, and there was no debate who they were taking. It was out there for weeks and months ahead of the draft that Zach Wilson was their guy. And these talented quarterbacks that we've already taken that went ahead of him in our rookie drafts and Trey Lance and Justin Fields aren't mentioned in the same breath as Zach Wilson, who was drafted ahead of them. And, and some of that I get it. You've got great rushers and Trey Lance and Justin Fields. These guys are probably five, 600-yard floors as rushing quarterbacks. And Zach Wilson may or may not bring that to the table, but if he does come through and hit his ceiling, he's going to be the biggest value of this entire class, even going at 105, 106, even as late as the end of the first round as you see him go in some drafts. I think he's going to be one of the best values as long as he doesn't fall flat on his face. And I think that's what the community expects from him is that it's just not going to work out. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Let me see it. it. It's it's a high enough ceiling if I'm able to get it that is absolutely worth the risk of a mid-range, a mid-round pick in the first round at what Zach Wilson could be. Who are you kidding, dude? You heard him one person comp in Aaron Rodgers, and you were like, I'm in, bought in. No one well, can Actually, the only comps I hear are Patrick Mahomes, and if you comp oh anyone God. to Mahomes, I just, I just don't listen. I can't take yeah, that for anything. I'm tuned out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, it's time for me to make my fifth or my third pick, the fifth overall pick. And I know this is going to probably piss Kyle off, but I'll take a Najee Harris. Okay. Najee Harris, in my opinion, is the safest non Jamar Chase player in this draft. So you may be asking, well, why didn't you take Jamar Chase? Well, what I can guarantee, in my opinion, guarantee from Najee Harris as a rookie is 250 touches. I can't guarantee that for anybody in rookie drafts for the rest of this draft. Probably not next year either. So you're getting a guy that has a pretty good athletic profile, a guy his size, going into a situation where he's going to get 250-plus touches, where his competition is Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane. If you don't know who that is, you're not missing out on anything. And it's just the safest pick you can get in the middle of the first round. If you can get this much production in the middle of a first round – of a rookie draft, that's a, that's a home run. That's a smash pick. I don't think you even wait. Once you get on the board, Najee Harris is there at 105. You make that pick and you enjoy, you know, the R, the high end RB two season that he gives you this year, and probably for the next few years. So, I, I have been lower on Najee Harris than consensus, but I'm not oblivious to volume being king in fantasy and middle of a rookie draft. You get this much volume. It's fantastic, and I think it's worth uh, taking him over guys with potentially higher ceilings and better longevity in a guy like Jamar Chase. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. You may think I'd be upset with it because I have him a lot lower in my rankings, but I have him lower, and it's not a Najee Harris hit. It's just I'm a bigger fan of the guys that are going in front of him. That's really all there is to it. I think once you get out of the big four at quarterback – there's probably four, maybe five players that I'm okay with going in any order after that. And Najee Harris, like you said, he's so safe. The amount of volume that you're going to get from Najee Harris that he's guaranteed is not guaranteed to anyone else in this first round or for the rest of this class. So if the only reason I have him a little bit lower is the positional value and the longevity that I think I'm going to get out of the guys in front of him. If Najee Harris has himself three, four years of fantasy success and then teeters off towards the end, then I think that's probably fine and you're okay with that. But the guys that I have moved in front of them, I'm expecting to be linchpins in my fantasy lineup for the next six to eight years. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I think it's more of a uh, more of a do you want the higher ceiling or do you want the safer floor? And uh, in my opinion, Najee Harris provides that you know in spades better than anybody else. But you're on the clock here at 106. Time for you to take your boy. Yeah, I guess I never, you already yeah. know. And yeah, it's, I know who it's gonna be. <laughs> it's it's Jamar Chase. It's the wide receiver one of the class. I didn't think he was my boy, but I don't know, maybe. And I feel I feel like you've been pumping his name for you know eight months now. <laughs> I mean, he's crazy talented. I, I didn't have much to talk about last year, obviously, with him not opting out of this last season with the COVID related uh with COVID. Anyway, <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, he's got as high a ceiling as anyone. He gets to uh, have Joe Burrow throw him the football for the next five to ten years, however long that ends up going. He's got a great supporting cast with T. Higgins alongside of him. I, I don't think T. Higgins is going to be the volume play in Cincinnati even when these guys do reach their peaks. So you're going to see these blow-up games from T. Higgins and maybe even as soon as this year where he has some games where he's scoring multiple touchdowns. But... I think Jamar Chase is going to provide a much higher floor than T. Higgins is in that offense. This is a team that's going to be forced to throw the ball a lot. He's going to be the one getting the bulk of those receptions, at least by year two. Yeah, so I read an interesting article about Jamar Chase's prospects coming into 2021, and uh, I got this off of numberfire.com. So if you guys go check it out, they, they put out some great content. Of the last 15 wide receivers to be drafted in the top 10, a dozen of those wide receivers played at least 10 games. Of those 12, eight finished as a wide receiver 45 or better, and three had top 20 seasons. The three names are Julio Jones, Mike Evans, and A.J. Green. So what's that mean for Jamar Chase? He was taken in the top 10, so he's he's in that group, and he can also uh, he also has the ceiling of a top 20 season as a rookie. And that might not sound like breaking news to you, but that's hard to do. People, you know, we've been spoiled last year with guys like Justin Jefferson and T. Higgins and uh, Brendan and I you putting on a show as rookies. But, you know, lest we forget, rookies usually take a while to break out. So, I mean, you look at what he's teed up for in 2021. I think there's a good chance that that uh, him and T. Higgins can both produce a ton. But I, I, I wanted to ask you, who do you think scores more in that in, in that offense and fantasy in 2021 t higgins or jamar chase probably higgins i think higgins has the higher ceiling but even in his rookie year and being higgins second year i think chase probably has a little bit of a higher floor yeah that's a good pick there especially value i mean the sixth pick in a rookie draft you get the best wide receiver um probably a top three guy to come out in the past four or five years so um good pick there i'm I'm here at number seven. I'm on the clock, and my seventh-ranked player is still on the board. And uh, I've been singing this guy's praises for months. I'm going to continue to do it until I'm proved otherwise because take lock is in my blood. It's in my veins, <laughs> and that is Travis Etienne. I love Travis Etienne as a player at Clemson. I was real disappointed that he didn't come out in 2020, but then he, here he is, 2021, comes out, and he gets drafted in the first round. So he gets that that coveted first-round draft capital that uh, fantasy owners love to see out of their running backs. He comes into an offense where he may, he'll be playing right next to his college quarterback, the aforementioned Trevor Lawrence, alongside some other weapons in a situation where the offensive line is improving. And I, I, I'll go back to that first-round draft capital because people are worried about James Robinson a little bit. But I think when you draft a running back in the first round, history tells us that 
whether for, for a good reason or not, teams will give you the benefit of the doubt, give you more touches, and try to justify their investment in you. Um, James Robinson is an undrafted running back from a previous regime. That should be all I need to say for you to at least have a base level excitement about Travis Etienne's volume coming into 2021. Now, let's look at what James Robinson did in 2020. Fantastic season. He was basically uh, a worker. He was a workhorse running back. He got a ton of touches. He got catches out of the backfield. But they have no allegiance to him. There's a completely different regime in here. And James Robinson, although is a good running back, he's not as good of a pass catcher as Travis Etienne. He's not as, as explosive as Travis Etienne. He doesn't fit the offense that uh, Urban is bringing into Jacksonville as well as Travis Etienne does. And he wasn't picked in the first round by uh, by the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, it just to me, I, I don't think there needs to be this much controversy and this much debate around Travis Etienne. He's a first-round running back who's supremely talented. He has talent. He has draft capital. What are we so concerned about? I think he's going to start slow because that entire team is going to start slow. It's a brand-new offense, brand-new system, a ton of new players, young players. The whole team is going to start slow. But hold on. Travis Etienne will get his, and I think he could be an end-of-the-year league winner for a lot of people who invest in him. Yeah, I'm all right with it. I, I came out pretty anti-ETN early on after the draft process. I was worried about Urban Meyer. I didn't like the crowded situation he was going into. But more and more, I don't know if you're just weighing on me and your constant nagging about him is just finally <laughs> wearing me down or what. Yes. But I'm becoming more and more inclined to agree with you. There, There is no allegiance to James Robinson, like you said who is an undrafted free agent. And it makes me think back to a couple years ago, the last undrafted free agent running back we saw make some noise in Denver in Philip Lindsay, who very similar to James Robinson. These guys have had two of the best undrafted free agent seasons that we've seen probably dating back all the way to Arian Foster. And where's Philip Lindsay now? He's part of like Houston a six Texans. head committee in Houston, <laughs> right? Like, and even yeah, he's competing last with Rex year, Burkhead for a roster spot, not for a lead gig. So yeah. the the lack of allegiance is very much a real thing. And as good as Philip Lindsay looked in his rookie year and even a little bit in his second year, all that went out the window. And if you were left holding the bag, you were kicking yourself like, why did I not sell this guy when his value is at his highest? Obviously, that window's already passed for James Robinson. As soon as ETN's name went up to the podium, Robinson's value got cut in half. But I think you're probably right. I think a lot of people are looking at this situation like it's maybe a 50-50 split. And I think that's probably James Robinson's ceiling this year is 50% of the touches. And by next year, this is Travis ETN's team. He, he had the three-year extension being James Robinson that he signed with Jacksonville through next year, 2022. And after that, he's a restricted free agent. So lack of loyalty new coaching staff, easy to move on from Robinson, the high investment in ETN, all these things point towards this being Travis ETN's team at least by one year from now. And even if you you know, want to take a guy like Devonta Smith or Kyle Pitts over Travis ETN, you got to remember that running backs, especially guys that have RB1 ceiling, are not easy to acquire anywhere else, not easier to acquire anywhere else in fantasy than in the rookie draft. Yep. So 100%. you have to you have to get these guys where you can get them, and right here at the 107, in my opinion, is great value on Travis Etienne. Yeah, I completely agree with that. 
But there's also something that's really hard to get, whether it's the draft, trading, free agency, whatever. And that's an elite tight end. Because as we know, there's only a handful of them per season, maybe three or four. And that tips my hat is where I'm going with my next pit. And that is my second player in the draft who I feel is bust proof. And that's Kyle Pitts, tight end for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't see any situation where this guy is not a top five tight end or higher for the next five to 10 years in the NFL. The athleticism rivals only that of Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Oh my God. If you don't, if you want to know in detail what I think of this guy, (laughs) go back, listen to our last show on the tight end rankings. But Kyle Pitts is a game changer at the tight end position. As I just said, there's only a couple of those in the league. I predict this year to be the year that Travis Kelsey falls out of those good graces as an elite tight end. And I expect by at least one year from now, Kyle Pitts is there replacing him. I think the next three to five years in the NFL are going to be Kyle Pitts, George Kittle, Darren Waller, maybe an outside hands, uh, outside chance that we see a TJ Hawkinson or maybe a future rookie step into that spot. To get the second guy on this list for me as can't miss prospect at what are we at? Number seven, eight now? Seven? Eight? Yeah, eight. Eight. Mm-hmm. Number eight overall. So I'm a playoff team last year. I just had an early exit and now I walk away with one of the best talents in the draft, a tight end. Easy day. Not only are you wrong about Travis Kelsey, but you're also wrong about Kyle Pitts. I know it's t- it's a typically a cop out to to say you know, I'm willing to be wrong about this player. It's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'll be wrong. It's like, no, I I, I don't want to be wrong. But if there's any guy that I'll be willing to be wrong about, it's Kyle Pitts because the the history of, of tight ends succeeding in the NFL is just – I've seen so many busts. I've seen so many guys not have one aspect of their game. And if you're missing one aspect, it's taking you off the field as a tight end. And I, I've never, I've never sat down and talked to Kyle Pitts. I don't know how smart he is. I don't know how high his football IQ is. I don't know how willing of a blocker he's going to be in the NFL. These are all questions that will lead to his playing time being cut if they're not answered correctly. And if his playing time's cut, he's not getting targets. If he's not getting targets, he's not scoring you fantasy points. So I, I just so concerned that uh, about any tight end coming in the league, and, and that's why <laughs> I always have. <laughs> I always have terrible quarterback or quarterback. I always have terrible tight end depth on my fantasy teams because I don't invest in a position. There's too much that can go wrong. There's it's the most injured fantasy position that we have. It's also the hardest to translate from college to the NFL. I am willing to be wrong about Kyle Pitts. That's all I'll say about that. So I'm not worried about the competition that he may have for snaps in Atlanta. Unless the next Kyle Pitts comes out next year and somehow he's drafted to the Atlanta Falcons. Hayden Hurst, who may be standing in front of him, is obviously the veteran among the group. He's going into his fourth season and Kyle Pitts is the rookie. So yeah, early on here in this rookie season, I might see a little bit more Hurst than I would like as a Kyle Pitts owner. But his fifth year option, obviously Hurst is still on his rookie contract from when he was drafted by Baltimore and his fifth round option was declined. So there's a good chance that Hayden Hurst is not even on the team this next year. So... Then it's all Kyle Pitts show. Now he's got a year under his belt and with the with the talent he has, I just I just I really can't see a situation where he's not a tight end one this season and a top six tight end moving forward. Like so many things have to go wrong for this kid that I just can't envision to happen. As far as floors go, for any position, 
I, I, I don't think there's anyone higher other than Trevor Lawrence in this entire class. I, I think he's just got the highest floor. I think he's that good. But you're also you have to look at like what a tight end one really means. It like if you have the tight end seven or eight, right? Like that's nothing, right? So like, I say if, tight end one meaning just for this season because it's his rookie year and he's a tight end. He's not going to come sure. out here and score uh, ten touchdowns for fourteen hundred yards on a hundred catches. Like it's not going to happen his rookie year. But top six tight end is something. You brought, you like to have someone in the top three or four usually on most seasons, and I think that's where he'll be. But I just don't see that situation where he's that middling guy, that low end tight end one, high end tight end two. I just don't see it in his range of outcomes. He's too talented, and there's too many open targets in that Atlanta offense. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm in the minority here, so I'm sure at some point you'll be able to say I told you so. But just wait. If he if he doesn't pan out, you'll never never hear the end of it from me. Not I worried. guarantee you this. No, we're not even. A All right, I'm on the clock here at 109, and this is this sets up perfectly for me because I get to take a homer pick in Devonte Smith, the Slim Reaper. Mm. Me and you have talked no, about Devonte Smith. No, Pretty, no, no, yes, you he's can, a Slim no. Reaper. He's a Slim that's Reaper. Kevin Durant. You may not like him, but that's Kevin Durant. You oh, can't okay. move these nicknames from one athlete to another. It doesn't work like that. Be original. Well, he also, you know, has like 18 burner accounts. So I think I could take his his nickname and give it somebody more <laughs> willing and able to have that nickname. So Devontae Smith, me and you have talked at nauseum about how high he's been rising up our rankings. And yep, you and I. Oh, Jesus Christ, with the you and I stuff. Okay. As <laughs> so soon as you I, learn it, I'll stop doing it. I I know it. I've been taught it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then maybe practice it. I refuse. Now it's just out of spite. Right. Where, where was I on Devontae Smith? He's great. Yes, he's small. I'm not worried about that. He's coming into a ton of volume uh, in Philadelphia. I think he's going to have well over 100 targets as a rookie. I could actually see him outproducing every other wide receiver in this class as a rookie and thus raising his value uh, to the point where you're going to be so surprised you got him at, at the 109 in rookie drafts. Why I have him this far back you know, behind Kyle Pitts and Travis Etienne and Jamar Chase is because – he still brings question marks, and the question marks is more about where he landed than anywhere else. We don't know if Jalen Hurts is actually a good quarterback. We don't know if he's going to be able to facilitate you know, a wide receiver one at any point in his career, uh, let alone as a second-year quarterback throwing to a rookie wide receiver. So there's still a lot of question marks surrounding Philly. Um, there's a lot of question marks around uh, how they're going to use him in a Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni led offense, first time head coach. So there, there's a lot of, there's too many questions around him for me to be, you know, guaranteeing anything besides a high target share because of the lack of competition. So Devontae Smith, I think he's very talented. I think the volume is going to be there. I'm a little bit concerned about his quarterback and his head coach and uh, the, the situation, the future, what it has uh, for him in Philadelphia. But I think he's good enough to be to be worth the 109 investment here, and uh, I'm not even thinking twice. I'm smashing the no. button on Devontae Smith at 109. Yep, no re- no reason to question that. You got to be ecstatic if you're one of these playoff teams in this year's class, picking at the 109, the 110, and the kind of player that you're going to walk away with, like Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith, he's talented enough that if he reaches a ceiling. He's just the kind of prospect that a lot of years we may be talking about him with the 101 in non-superflex or maybe the first non 
quarterback off the board in Superflex drafts. And I wouldn't fault you if you wanted to take him as the first time quarterback in this draft. I don't think 105 would be too high for Devontae Smith. If you're a believer in his talent and you think those question marks that you just brought up, Shoddy, are going to all be answered and Jalen Smith or uh, Jalen Hurst rather is good enough to support at least one uh, fantasy relevant weapon then Devontae Smith may be that guy. He's the wide receiver one on the team. It remains to be seen. Is he going to be the top weapon? I think most likely that's the end game. That's where it ends up is with Devontae Smith, the offense running through him. Where you get him here at the end of the first round is absolutely a steal, but you could say that about a slew of guys at this point. I think anywhere from the 105 after the big four quarterbacks have gone off the board, I'm fine with hearing his name. What do you think? You know, if he's if he's the highest scoring rookie wide receiver in this class, do you think his value surpasses Jamar Chase? You know, if Jamar Chase starts slower, T. Higgins outproduces him. Like, do you think we're going to look at look at this class as a hey, Devontae Smith should have been you know top five guy? Absolutely, I wouldn't look twice at that. Actually, like that wouldn't yeah. even. Not only do I think it's possible, I don't think I'd be surprised if it happened. His yeah. ceiling is as high as anyone in the class. The reason I'm so high on Chase is because I think he's got just a floor that no one else presents. I don't think there's much situation where Jamar Chase is not at least a steady contributor for your team. But when it comes to ceiling, I don't know that any, definitely no other wide receivers for me, but maybe no other position has a highest ceiling as Devontae Smith. Now, Trevor Lawrence, Kyle Pitts, yeah, I, I think I take their ceilings over him, but Devontae Smith is right there. We talked about Nikhil Harry at the top of the show and how the ways he won in college don't translate to the NFL. If we can see that translation for Devontae Smith, who plays an entirely different game, completely different skill set than a Nikhil Harry, then he has that. He could be that guy that we're talking about a year from now in that WR1 conversation. He may be that uh, we were just seeing from Justin Jefferson from CD Lamb this year, where he shows us enough in his rookie year to say, "Okay, yeah, this kid's legit. He's got a future in the NFL. He's going to be a stud WR one for years to come." So I'm putting you on the spot here, but we're talking about his translation to the NFL. So if you had to give me, you know, one or two comps, who would you say his game reminds you of, or you know, a similar type producer at the NFL level? That is on the spot because you gave he's a really unique prospect, obviously. Because mm-hmm. if, if you want to talk about his build, his best comparable is probably going to be Marquise Brown from a couple years ago. And I hate that comparison because I kind of hate Marquise Brown. He's, I didn't think he was just a very, I didn't think he was a very good receiver coming out. I hated him going in the first round. But as far yeah, as Devontae I'm talking Smith, more about his play style. So, like, how he wins. I'd I like. Prime Brandon Cooks maybe is my comp, but maybe with a higher oh, okay. ceiling. Cooks was a yeah, guy like who who could win downfield. He could win in the middle of the field. He got off the line well. He was very agile in the middle of the field. And I see all those things in Devontae Smith. The thing that held Cooks back in L.A., which was probably where he was at his best, was the fact that he was sharing a receiver room with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. But if one or both of those guys was out and you had Cooper – or you had – uh. Uh, Brandon Cooks is your number one receiver as good as he was he could have been so much better he could have been instead of an mm-hmm. 80 catch 1200 yard guy he could have been a 90 100 catch 14 1500 yard guy with maybe double digit touchdowns if he wasn't in such a crowded receiver room Devontae Smith's walking into a receiver room where he should be the number one I mean Rager's the incumbent number one but he's only a second th- now going into third year player or no going into second, second year. year sorry and so maybe he gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt early, but this is Devontae Smith's 
receiver room to win. And so really the biggest question mark for me is in Hurts. It's not in Devontae Smith. And he's got the skill set that translates to the NFL. So I'm in love with the ceiling. His floor is a little bit scary because like I said, if he is the next Marquise Brown, then you're not going to be happy with it. Just like you're not happy with Marquise Brown. I don't know why this turned into a Marquise Brown bashing segment, but Devontae (laughs) Smith, I think, has a ceiling higher than any other wide receiver in this class. I like that comp. I mean, the way that we look at, at Brandon Cooks, it, especially when he was younger and in his prime, was you know a great yak player, ball in hand player. And people don't look at Devontae Smith like that just just because he's skinny. But watch him play at Alabama, and you can see that he's very dangerous with the ball in his hands. He's very agile, very quick. Uh, he's a guy you want to feed targets to, and I think that's exactly what the Eagles are going to do. So you are on the clock here at one ten. Getting this is your second to last pick here, so don't fuck yes. it up. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> at this point in the draft, uh, picking 10th, I'm going back to the quarterback position. The only reason that this guy's name hasn't been called so far is just because of the talent at other positions ahead of him. And that is the one, the only McClorical Jones quarterback <laughs> for the New right, Patriots. <laughs> uh, it's because of the position. The same reason that I had Zach Wilson going above these elite talents like Chase Smith, Pitts, Harris. I've got Mac Jones going ahead of the second tier of elite talent at other positions. And it's it's really just a testament to how important the quarterback is in Superflex. If you have a starting quarterback in the NFL, someone who's going out there and they're taking 60 snaps a game and throwing 30 plus passes, etc., that on its own is worth a first round pick in your dynasty rookie drafts. So even if Matt comes out and he's not as talented as New England would hope he would be when they took him in the middle of the first round last year. He still provides a floor because of the position that he plays that I am happy to have at the 110. If I'm a team at the end of the first round who has a good quarterback room, at the very least I could use him as a trade chip. If you if you don't have three starting quarterbacks in your team on your roster in dynasty, you're in the market. And sometimes if you have three, you're still in the market. There's not a lot that you can't get for a starting quarterback in a super flex league. And if he does come through and come to a ceiling and Josh McDaniels is able to mold him into the next Tom Brady, or at least some off brand generic version, then you get a steal here at the end of the first round. I agree with almost everything you said. I have him a little bit lower than you do. Um, You have him at at nine in your top 12 rookies. I have him at 11, Um, but I totally get the investment in quarterback. We have to not be so, uh, we don't. We, we have to avoid overvaluing our evaluation. So we can't think that we know more than we do about the quarterback position. And when you have the chance to take a quarterback that was invested heavily in by an NFL organization, then more times than not, you'll be happy that you did. They hold their value, uh, especially in the NFL, but also in fantasy. They hold their value, and uh, if they show anything, you know somebody who's quarterback hungry will be willing to pay up for that player. So even if you don't plan on having him as as a consistent starter on your team, he becomes an asset that makes you very fluid in your process, being able to move through and kind of just play the market, as you will. Um, I don't know if he's going to start right away. I don't think that matters. Um, I also think he's one of the more pro-ready quarterbacks coming from Alabama. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of things to like about Mac Jones. There's nothing to really love, in my opinion. It's just a lot of things to like. And uh, that's worth the investment at 110 in a super flex league. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not exciting, but 
ask any Superflex owner of Andy Dalton over the last 10 years how satisfied they were with his production, where he has ceilings, where he'll spike up and be a low-end QB1, but most of the time he's providing you that steady uh, QB2 floor. And that's one of the main differences in philosophies between single quarterback and super flex or two quarterback leagues is in single quarterback, you shoot for the ceiling every single time. There's literally zero point in drafting a floor in single quarterback leagues. But in super flex, you're so happy to have a low end QB two floor out of somebody. And I think if I were to guess right now, the most likely trajectory for Jones's career, it's that it's a low end QB two, maybe a high end QB three, but that has a place in super flex. Absolutely. Totally. I am up on the clock here with my last pick. And as much as I want to get spicy with it, I think this is a locked and loaded easy pick for me. It's Javante Williams. Uh, Javante Williams had a ton of hype here in recent weeks, people are thinking that he's going to split, you know, 50, 50 with Melvin Gordon or either, either even take over that RB one spot in Denver. And, uh, I've talked up Denver a lot. I like, I'm really liking what they're doing as a team. The only thing they're missing is the most important thing in football. And that's a reliable starting quarterback. I think they have all the other pieces in there. I think the offense itself is going to be successful, a lot of weapons, and that's going to set Javante Williams up for high-value touches as a rookie, and then hopefully in 2022, the full uh, workhorse role there in Denver, and once again in 2022, hopefully he has a better starting quarterback lining up in the backfield with him. I think you're going to get some useful weeks out of Javante Williams in 2021. I don't know if you'll be able to predict them, so he might be kind of frustrating to own as a rookie, uh, but hold strong. Don't sell him low. 2022 could be the year that we're looking at him similar to the way we're looking at a guy like uh, CEH this year, where he's in a good offense. He may not be the most talented rookie that came out of his class, but you know you're going to get some good volume and some high-value touches. So I like Javante Williams. I, lo- I love the landing spot. I think uh, I think getting him at the 111 in Superflex is doable. It, you, know, you can see it happening in a lot of different leagues. And uh, if you're there at the 111, he's definitely a good target to aim for. Javante Williams has been a bit of a roller coaster ride for me in my rankings. He, a year ago, was virtually unheard of in draft circles as far as the running back position. He wasn't really mentioned among those elites like ETN was, but, and obviously Najee Harris. And then, and then he climbs all the way up to not only the number three spot, but people are putting him in the same tier as them. And usually that's a red flag for me. When I see someone have that one great college season that sort of catapults them above the the sum of their parts, I guess would be the best way to say it. So I, I was a little cautious whenever he was first coming out. He actually fell back to the RB4 spot for me post-draft. I had Trey Sermon ahead of him. Since then, I've I've taken a few deep breaths, thought maybe, okay, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know. And, and that's yeah. important to do as a fantasy, uh, as a, di- a fantasy owner, a dynasty owner, as an analyst, anything. It's it's important to know that you don't know everything, okay? And I, I sort of took that with Javante Williams, and he moved back into my RB3 spot. He's exactly who I would have taken here. Obviously, the Melvin Gordon concerns are the biggest thing, but... Although I hear all the talk about Melvin Gordon, everyone's aware of the situation there. He is an unrestricted free agent next year. Okay, 2022, Javante could have this backfield entirely to himself. And so think about some of the rookies from last year that we're looking at now and the light we're looking at him. J.K. Dobbins, who last year had to split with uh, Gus Edwards and uh, uh, other old guy. 
uh, Mark Ingram. And Another now, now look at his <laughs> right one of that six headed committee. But now obviously J.K. Dobbins' value has gone up. Uh, you have DeAndre Swift who was splitting with Carryon Johnson, Adrian Peterson last year. Now both those guys are gone. He's got the backfield to himself, and you've seen his value increase tenfold. Javante Williams, even if he doesn't pan out year one, I don't see any way that his return on investment isn't higher a year from now. So even if you want to play this entirely as a stock and say, I can get way more for Javante Williams a year from now than I can now, I think that's a safe move. If, if you're not a Javante Williams believer, I think he's probably the end of a tier here at the 111. So if you see the 10 guys we've named come off the board already... Javante Williams is that guy that even if you're not a fan, even if you're not a believer, you don't think it's going to happen, his value is going to be higher a year from now. If you don't like him, sell him a year from now, and where you spent the 111 on him, you could trade him for maybe the 106 in 2023, a class that everyone's expecting to be great uh, somewhere in the mid to late first in that uh, rookie class. Yeah, and if you're at a position in your rookie drafts where you can't justify taking Javante Williams as early as you're at, or maybe you don't have a first rounder, but you still need running back. Uh, maybe wait till Javante Williams is, you know, four or five weeks into the season and he's not getting, you know, as many carries as we hoped or, or, you know, maybe he has a, a little bit of an injury or something in his rookie year. I, I still think it's worth making it, making a few offers, trying to get him on your squad for that eventual uh, explosion. I think that's coming from him out of the backfield in uh, in Denver, probably in 2022, as we keep mentioning. But, Kyle, you're on the clock here at 12. Close us out. Oh, buddy. gosh. Oh, I hate this pick. <laughs> There's <laughs> probably four different guys that I'm contemplating. I don't know if you're looking at the show sheet right now, but a yeah, few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, I just keep <laughs> seeing different names fly out. <laughs> I keep debating who I want to take here. My original pick was Jalen Waddle. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that pick anymore. I marked that out, and when I was talking about Marquise Brown, I thought to myself, okay, if I don't like Marquise Brown, who do I like in that Baltimore passing game? Although it is one of the smaller pies. Do you want some pie? In the NFL. And Rashad Bateman's name came up, who's probably in the top 10 picks if he goes anywhere but Baltimore. Then I look at your top 12. I see you have there, and you have Elijah Moore, who's probably the biggest riser among all these rookies during OTAs and the way that he's looked. And then I have my sweetheart, Trey Sermon, who I just want to have everywhere, but I don't know if <sighs> Shadi, I don't know who to take. Yeah. Spot. I don't, I don't envy <laughs> your spot right now. I mean, the, the 12 spot in Superflex is a stepping off point. You know, if you don't get yeah. the top 11 picks, I think you're missing out. You definitely want to trade up or trade back if you're at the 12 spot. So all four of those I'm not guys help that I you named. because I want to win this rookie draft. And I mean, I already okay. won it, but, but, uh, yeah, make your pick. You coward. All four of those guys are in the same tier. If I am picking at 12, there's a better than zero chance that I just won my championship and I can afford to take some risks. So because of that, I'm going to make my number 12 pick Rashad Bateman. And I'm going to take nice. the guy who, of all those four guys that we just named, probably has the highest ceiling. We talked about it all the time. We talked about it during this show. We talked about it constantly that situations change. If you don't believe me, look back on your rookie, or not even just rookie picks, look back at your fantasy teams from three years ago and see how your opinions have changed since 2018. If we see any improvement in situation for Rashad Bateman, 
then he has a ceiling up there with these tier one receivers that we've taken already, like Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase. His ceiling is that good. He was mentioned in the same breath as these guys during the rookie scouting process. It's just his landing spot that took it all away. So if we see Lamar Jackson improve as a passer, get back to his efficiency that he had during his MVP season, and he's throwing 35 touchdowns, and Rashad Bateman looks like a prime candidate to catch how many? 8, 10, 12? Where's his ceiling? Everyone else sort of has their niched out roles where Mark Andrews is going to be center of the field. Marquise Brown is going to be spreading the field. Uh, Sammy Watkins is going to be good for week one and then bad for 16 weeks. And then obviously the running backs. So Rashad Bateman is very unique in his role in Baltimore. And it's a wide open receiver room. I love the ceiling. You don't like the situation. But where you're at in the draft right now, I think this is the point of the draft. After the first 11 guys go off the board, this is where I no longer am worried about missing and I'm ready to start shooting my shots at upside in my rookie drafts. Yeah, this is a great shot in my opinion. I love Rashad Bateman. And I I think you can look at other situations around the NFL to try to – you know, make yourself a little bit more comfortable with making the pick here on Rashad Bateman. We look at other low-volume, higher-efficiency players that are very highly valued in fantasy, like DJ Moore, who's in a lower-volume offense but is extremely efficient because he is very talented. We look at A.J. Brown, who's in a low-volume, high-efficiency role in Tennessee. Now, granted, I'm comparing him to two guys in the NFL that are very good and have proven it. But I think he has a very high floor. He has a a very likely chance to break out as a rookie solely based on his talent. So although the the landing spot is not where we want it to be, there is examples of guys around the league that are still producing in in, in similar situations. And, you know, the the Ravens have shown that they want to throw the ball more. They want to invest in the passing game because they have to keep up with guys like Kansas City and Tennessee. Guys have very efficient and effective uh, passing games, and that's what they didn't have most of 2020. The investment in Rashad Bateman in the first round, his talent, um, similar comp situations around the league can all lead to you being comfortable. It should lead to you being comfortable and taking Rashad Bateman here and knowing that you have one of the higher ceiling wide receivers in this draft. So I like the way this draft went a lot more than our 101 did, or our mock draft 101, however you want to call it. So Mm -hmm. let's recap it real quick. At number one, we had Trevor Lawrence. Number two, Trey Trey Lance. Three, Justin Fields. Number four, Zach Wilson. Five, our first non-quarterback, Najee Harris. Six, Jamar Chase. Number seven, Travis Etienne. Number eight, Kyle Pitts. Nine, Devontae Smith. Number 10, Mac Jones. 11, Javante Williams. And at 12, rounding out Rashad Bateman. And as I look back at those top 12, I think the only change I would make combining our two picks together is I would have taken Travis Etienne a couple spots later than you did. I, he went at number 107 overall and Pitts and Devonte Smith went right after him at eight and nine. I think personally I would move Etienne back to the nine spot moves Pitts and Smith up one. Other than that, I pretty much agree. I think with obviously I made half the picks, but I would agree, I guess with your <laughs> other five picks in the first round. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious that I won this mock draft. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you got Trevor Lawrence. What else is so, new, right? I mean, com- Brett Wins, completely surprise. unbiased. When you get Trevor Lawrence, I, I, yeah, you probably do win. So you're admitting defeat, right? We have this on. on, on this is recorded. You know this. I, right? I would rather have it documented that I am a Trevor Lawrence believer more than 
I am a winner because being a Trevor <laughs> Lawrence believer makes me a winner. Drop the mic. All right. All right. That'll do it for our mock draft. And now I, I can hear the Avengers music playing in the background. I can hear it oh, getting yeah. louder. It's oh, time. Yeah. It is time for our Marvel player comps. I've been excited for this for you know all week when I was doing a little research on it. And uh, that being said, I'm going to go first because I want to get my, my first one out of the way. Why are you one. first? I have so many more than you. All right, go ahead. Because it's my show. I'm the host. <laughs> all right, you're up. <laughs> go. All right. So Tell me why. My first one. Keenan Allen is Hawkeye. I like All right. that. You, you may be thinking, Hawkeye, yeah, like that's kind of boring. That kind of sucks. But let me tell you, okay? They've both been around for a while, and they're often forgotten about. Very mm. underrated players. Often forgot about, very underrated. I think that fits both of them. They've never been the biggest, fastest, or strongest, but they beat you with their tools and their timing. I mean, think about how Keenan Allen beat you with route running, timing, spacing. Hawkeye beats you with... A plethora of different tools at his uh, at his disposal. <laughs> I, I I think that is you know sets him up perfectly. If you look at how um, Keenan Allen is the most crafty route runner in the league, Hawkeye's probably the most crafty Avenger out of the out of the, uh, the bunch sure. there. And they could be the key to you winning a championship that you don't you didn't exactly yeah. see coming this year. Hawkeye was underrated in Endgame. If it wasn't for him, you know he's the one that put his body on the line to test out the time machine. To, to go back in time and, and fight wow. Thanos again. Keenan Allen could be a top five wide receiver this year if Herbert takes a step forward and he could win you championships. So in my opinion, Keenan Allen is Hawkeye. I love it. Very detailed. You're gonna you're gonna put all my picks to shame, I think, because mine are mine are gonna be mostly quick blurbs and you went into so much detail with the Hawkeye Keenan Allen comparison. Good for you, man. That's, it's not, spot even, on. that's not even my best one. I got I, I got well, I see it. I mean that was perfect. You couldn't have nailed it, but you couldn't have gotten any better. Uh so I have almost twice as many as you and much less analysis. So I'm gonna give two at a time and you can go one at a time. My right. number one oh one. And this one should be obvious. I was really surprised not to see it on your list. And that is Captain America. Who is the Captain America? The leader of the Avengers. America's golden boy in the NFL. Uh, it's Tom Brady. Yeah, it's I Tom mean, Brady. And I, I think it's perfect because you hear me say all the time that Tom Brady is not the most talented quarterback to ever play. But he's had the best career of anyone ever. That's not up for debate. And I still stand by that. He's had an outstanding career. He's a Hall of Fame, Mount Rushmore type talent, but he was he was never the most talented player, I don't think, in the NFL of all time. And the same can be no. said about Captain America. He was never the strongest Avenger, the fastest Avenger, the most durable Avenger. The list goes on. He was never at the top of any of these lists. But you know what he was? He was a goddamn leader. And he had an outstanding career, and he got to ride off into the sunset with his beautiful wife. Tom Brady's going to do the same thing. I, I don't know if there's a comparison on my list that I feel stronger about than Captain America as Tom Brady. That's America's ass. I think you look great, Cap. As far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. <laughs> that leads me into my next pick, which is the new Captain America, a.k.a. Falcon. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, okay. The heir to the mantle of the shield. I like so that. So you could talk about Captain America's shield, or you can talk about the shield that the NFL sports. When a couple years from now, or maybe a couple decades from now, who knows, when Tom Brady finally decides to hang it up, his heir apparent has already been named, and it's Patrick Mahomes. 
He may not be. He may have flown in a little under the radar. You see what I did there? Flown in under the radar for Falcon. <laughs> At the beginning of his career, falling all the way to the middle of the first round, when in hindsight he was obviously the best player in that draft or maybe any draft, he can take up the throne of Captain America once Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Tom Brady, decides to hang it out. So he's my choice for Falcon. I mean, take out your Packers fandom for a second. I mean, how awesome would it be if we saw – you know, another Super Bowl this year of Bucks Chiefs, and it comes down to the wire, and Mahomes beats Brady, and Brady rides off into the sunset, having just a passing of know, the torch. Yeah, passing the torch to Patrick Mahomes. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I mean, that that, <laughs> that would be incredible. All right, guys. So my second, my second comp, Ryan Tannehill is Loki. Hmm. And you, you may be thinking that's weird. You know, that's. Almost complete opposite type of people. But let me tell you how. To start their careers, they were both just bad villains who didn't really bring much to the table and they got they got cast away early. Like, you know, the Mi- Miami version of Ryan Tannehill and Loki's in the first Avenger. Uh, they, they just kind of, you know, they were big for a minute and got quickly pushed to the side um, for more interesting and, and better stories and, and arcs and the progression of, of the NFL and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But as the story progressed, they, br- they brought a lot of intrigue, showing some flashes of potential, like Tannehill's first start, first few starts in Tennessee, and Loki in uh, Ragnarok and Endgame, how he kind of you know flipped the script and became more of an anti-hero than just a flat-out villain. And then we fast forward to now, where they're both main characters that you that you can't ignore. You know, Tannehill was QB eight last year. He's a quarterback that a lot of people are still invested in and are, have you know high hopes up for in 2021. And Loki has his own show that's bringing in the next phase <laughs> of the MCU. So these guys, you know, yeah. basically went full circle from you know little to no intrigue because they were you know flashes in the pan early in the progression of their career. And now they're mainstays that you can't ignore. So I agree with everything that you just said, but I have a better MCU comp and it's actually my next player. I also comped Ryan Tannehill, but instead of the Loki, I went ahead and made him Bucky Barnes, the winter soldier. Okay. I mean, I can see that. I can already see the arc you're building here. Yes. I mean, so he came out and obviously uh, Tannehill was a former wide receiver turned quarterback. Everyone thought the world of his potential, but then Adam Gase, a.k.a. Hydra, Hydra. got their claws on him and completely ruined him. But then what what happens after that? He takes all that time under Adam Gase, just like Bucky took all that time under Hydra, toning his skills and becoming a better athlete. And, I mean... Obviously, the Winter Soldier became like, an evil mercenary, but we're going to sweep that under the rug. But eventually, <laughs> he comes back to the light side and becomes one of the most powerful players in the MCU, just like Ryan Tannehill has placed himself among the best quarterbacks in the NFL and rises back after being left for dead. Yeah, I see it. I mean, Loki's a better comp, obviously, because I came over with it. But Winter yeah. Soldier is also solid. I can see it, and I, I see what you're doing. I, I like it. You're on to something. Okay, and then my next one. Uh, this is not so much a redemption story. It actually might be the opposite. My next character out of the MCU is Quicksilver. So summarize Quicksilver here in a, a couple words, couple phrases. Obviously fast. He's very fast. That's what he's known for. And if you're wondering or having a hard time thinking back to who Quicksilver is, it's because he only appeared in one movie. 
Okay, I mean, he was on the scene and then whatever, he's whatever, he got killed. And there's a player in the NFL that meets both those descriptions, and his name you got is... killed? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, other than the assassination, Miko Hardman <laughs> fits Quicksilver to a T. Obviously very fast. In in a slow offseason, we had the race, and everyone was excited for whatever reason to see the Miko Hardman, one of the fastest players in the NFL. No one's debating that. But at the end of the day, he's leaving a lot on the table, and maybe his potential is a lot higher than what he's ever going to be able to give you in the real world, just like Quicksilver. Yeah, it makes sense. I didn't think we would have to talk about Miko Hardman today, but here we are <laughs> talking about Miko Hardman. I wish it could have been in a better light. My gosh. <laughs> All right. So my next one, Alvin Kamara is Spider-Man. Ooh, I like uh, this one. If all I said was balance – You'd be like, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man, yeah. Alvin Kamara, balance. Yeah. But let me talk about a bit of their career. So they both started their careers as lesser-known young guys who kind of burst on the scene in a big way. I mean, you look at Kamara, was a third-round pick, wasn't really talked about in fantasy or the NFL, and he comes out as a rookie. It completely shatters the NFC South with his skill set. Yeah. And Peter Parker, just a high school kid before Civil War came on, and Tony Stark brings him in as a main stay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They both had like established stars as their role models. I mean, to- Peter Parker looked up to Tony Stark, as I said. Alan Kamara had uh, Mark Ingram to learn under, who was, you know, a, a seasoned vet by the time Alan Kamara came in. Yeah, and Adrian Peterson they, they, too. Yep, yeah, exactly. And they both win with their vision. I mean, look at Spider-Man has spider Ooh, senses. If that's not yeah. vision, I don't know what is. And Alan Kamara is patient and explosive. I he like knows. That what's coming, and when to hit the hole, how to hit it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I could keep going on and on about these two. They could break the game over every, at any moment with unparalleled productivity. Spider-Man dated a girl while beating her father in battle. I'm reading this on oh, my, my phone. Gosh. He was also <laughs> on a study abroad trip while defeating a shifty two-faced tech villain. <laughs> and, yeah, Alvin Kamara does that all the time. As soon as you said that, I thought immediately to the scene in Civil War – where Spider-Man makes his first MCU appearance and just casually sort of takes down uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon. Just, oh, hey, what's up, guys? You have a metal arm? Sweet. It just sort <laughs> yeah, of has totally. that boyish charm. I could see Alvin Kamara doing the exact same thing. He he came in as sort of an afterthought behind the Leonard Fournette and the Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey, the guys that got all the hype. And then one year in, and you can already tell, all right, Kamara's as good as all these guys. Sort of just like Spider-Man. As soon as you see him on yeah. the scene, okay, this kid's a stud. Mm-hmm. And they both make it look so easy. Exactly, yeah. They both mm-hmm. got that attitude where it's just like, they're just out there enjoying themselves, man. They, yeah. They're doing it among the best of the best in the world. That's good. I like that one. All right, my next two, very similar to each other. At number five, I have the Incredible Hulk, who in the NFL makes you, do you think has the highest likelihood of saying Hulk smash? Hulk smash! Rob Gronkowski. No question. Obviously, he's on the tail end of his career, so we don't see it as much as we used to. But don't forget the kind of guy that he used to be on the football field, just Hulk smashing his way up and down end zone to end zone as one of the best tight ends of all time. And speaking of crashing end zone to end zone, my first MCU comparison that's not to a character, but to an inanimate object, Molnir, aka the Hammer of Thor, gets his comparison to Derek Henry, running back of the Tennessee Titans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So as Thor said in the MCU, once Mjolnir gets going, nothing will stop it. Once Derrick Henry gets going on a football field, as we saw last year, nothing will stop him. Watch some of these stiff arms that he puts on when he's putting people on posters and tell me it doesn't remind you of Hulk's hammer smashing his way through bad guys in the MCU. Oh, yeah. He's an, he's unstoppable. It's Yeah, that's a perfect comp. <laughs> I'm sure he would like to have actually had a superhero comparison. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Molnir had a great career, too, until yeah. he was smashed to pieces. <laughs> By a witch or whatever she was. <laughs> uh, she was the goddess of death. Put some respect on her name. There you go. That was Ragnarok, right? I'm kind yeah. of forgetting. Yeah. All right. I like those two. This is my. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited. This one for is my favorite song. one that I've come up with. All right. So, <laughs> Big Ben is Fat Thor. Oh my god! <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> so let me break this down for you. Once considered a top action to bring into battle, but now is kind of you know fell on some hard times and just broken down by the grind. You know they, oh, they they've been there, done guy. that. No. <laughs> they've broken down, right? Although they don't look like much, they they can still have their uses. You know, they come in for a spot start because they have such a great supporting cast around them. I mean, you look at Big Ben. He has three three wide receivers you'd love to throw to. Fat Thor had Rocket the Raccoon, you know, carrying through (laughs) Endgame along with pointed direction from all the Avengers that that were worried he was going to screw it all up. Right. Oh my gosh, this is so, too perfect. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is don't expect a top 10 performance out of these guys, but in a pinch, they might just give you oh you know, the gosh. necessary points to win. Right? They give you what you need to get the mission done. Okay, so Big Ben is Fat Thor. <laughs> that, that's perfect, man. I had no idea when I saw Fat Thor on the show sheet who was going to fit that comp. As soon as you said it, it all fell into place 100%. Yeah, right. That was my I'm, favorite I'm down- one. I'm down to my last two. At number seven, Dormammu. You may remember him as the destroyer of worlds from the Doctor Strange universe. I've come my to bargain. NFL, yeah. <laughs> my NFL comp for Dormammu is Calvin Johnson. And yes, Whoa. I know. He's been out of the league for a while. And for whatever reason, he seems to come up every week on the show now. But Calvin Johnson was, in my opinion, at his prime, better than any other NFL wide receiver that I've ever seen in their prime. If he was in a better situation, maybe a little bit better team, maybe he plays a few more years, and now we're talking about Calvin Johnson and the same rest that we talk about Randy Moss or Jerry Rice as one of the best, if not the best, of all time. Dormammu, unfortunately for him, in the situation he was put in, his talents were never fully recognized. He got himself caught in a time loop with Doctor Strange, ended up having to be confined and eventually just give in and say, okay, I'm done. Much the same way we saw from Calvin Johnson, who was put in a time loop with the Detroit Lions, where he wins zero games, one game, two games, until it eventually gets to the point where he says, I can't do this shit anymore, I'm done. (laughs) And just throws his hands up and completely gives up, wasting almost one of the greatest talents that we've ever seen. Oh, dude, you had me you had me nervous there for a minute. I was like, I, I'm waiting for him to, to put this together. I had no idea how you were going to compare Calvin Johnson to, to Dormammu. Yeah, right. exactly. That was a good one. I like that one. 
So all the guys we've named, this is actually, we didn't have a set list on who we were going to name or what players we wanted to comp them to. We both just said, all right, let's just compare MCU characters to NFL players. And this is next one is the only one that we shared. And that is Thanos. We both have mm-hmm. a comp for Thanos looking at the show sheet. Neither of us knows who the other person put in that spot. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And at the same time, you and I are both going to say who our NFL comp is for Thanos. Sound good? Sounds good. One, two, three. Bill Tom Belichick. Brady. Reality is often disappointing. What? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, man. So, <laughs> so we went. This may say a little bit more about how we view the Patriots dynasty based on which characters that we gave these guys. So obviously, I'll go first because I'll probably be quicker than you. I'm sure you've got a nice long script, and I can't wait to hear it. But Tom Brady gets to be my Captain America, the main protagonist, whereas the main antagonist, Thanos, is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is out there playing 3D chess while the rest of the league plays checkers for almost 20 years. He sits on the sideline, cold, calculating Thanos. Same way, the the mastermind behind the scenes with his grand plan has success after success after success until the scrappy kid from Brooklyn and Captain America, my cop for Tom Brady, eventually brings his reign to the end. Much like we saw this last year where Bill Belichick watches his Patriots miss the playoffs in what just so happens to be the first year without Tom Brady, a.k.a. Captain America, who puts an end to his evil reign once and for all. That's good. I mean, you brought your first comp and your last comp full circle. So that's, that's pretty solid. My, that honestly just came to me. I, I did not do that in the start. It just all came to me. <laughs> oh, come on. You got you to sell that, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I nailed it. I'm really good. Yeah, there you go. So I, I said Tom Brady is Thanos, and all I wrote was three words. I am inevitable. He is inevitable. No matter, <laughs> no matter what you think about Tom Brady, you know, for the past 20 years, you can't go an entire season – talking about NFL or fantasy without bringing him up. He's always there in the beginning, and he's always there at the end. And as of recently, he's become more fantasy relevant than he's been in recent years. So I I think that Tom Brady's just – his longevity, you know, Thanos was the the one pulling the strings in the MCU for a dozen-plus years. He is, you know, the the typical villain. You know, everybody hates Tom Brady. Everybody wants to see him lose. But – at the end of the day, you know, he just kept winning, kept winning, kept winning. But the end is coming for, for Tom Brady, as it did for Thanos. And uh, as much as he's a villain, I think we're all going to miss him. Just like as much as Thanos was the villain in the MCU, you know, he brought oh, yeah. so much intrigue to the movies. And we're going to miss him, you know, as, as the MCU progresses into the next phase. I'm, I'm looking at a list right now of all the Thanos quotes, Thanos quotes from the movies. And all of them I just see coming out of Tom Brady's mouth. <laughs> they're just so perfect you and they both have that wicked chin <laughs> yeah oh yeah sure but there's only one quote from thanos that i would never be able to hear out of tom brady's mouth i know what it's like to lose I feel so desperately that you're right yet to fail nonetheless i know what it's like to lose <laughs> yeah he, i mean don't don't mention nick Foles around him he might fucking Oh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're right. Eli Manning says, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> oh, outstanding, uh, man. I think you killed it. 
Your your write ups for all those were outstanding. Yeah, the the Fat Thor one, I was laughing my ass off writing that. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was like, really this good, is man. fantastic. All right, man. That's it for episode nine. Give the uh, give the people our socials. Let them know where to find us. Yep, hit us up on Twitter at fflexecution. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Sorry at ffmasterdebater. And uh, had a lot of fun, man. This is a good show. Yeah, it was a fun show. I I, I like these uh, non-fantasy related things we do here at the end of the show. I think we're gonna start Good sending fun, this yeah. stuff a little bit more. It's fun, yeah, yeah. man. I enjoy it. Yeah, we'll be back uh, next week with only, only about two, two and a half weeks now until training camp starts. So hopefully, some real things to talk about. But until then, I am perfectly content talking about the MCU with you, my friend. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Say goodbye to the people. Adios. Thanks for listening. Peace. Reality is often disappointing. <laughs> 